Welcome to Drone Law Pro Radio. Visit DroneLaw.pro, where Part 107 pilots become Part 107 professionals. Here's your host, drone attorney Enrico Schaefer. Welcome to Drone Law Pro Radio. My name is Drone Attorney Enrico Schaefer. Today we have two special guests on the show. We have Colin Snow. Colin is the CEO and founder of Skylogic Research LLC. He is very well known in the industry as the drone analyst. He's got a 25-year technology industry background. He's a veteran in technology. He's got a background in market research, enterprise software, electronics, digital imaging, and mobility. His experience includes aerial photography as well as making and programming and piloting remote control aircraft. He holds an MBA from Florida Atlantic University. He's a member of all major UAS industry groups including AUVSI and the AMA. He holds a FAA Part 107 remote pilot certification. And he is uh, the the man behind Skylogic Research. And Skylogic Research, for those of you who don't already know, is a research content and advisory services firm that Colin started back in 2012 with the purpose of supporting all participants in the commercial unmanned aircraft system space. His mission, Skylogic Research's mission, is to help companies make critical investment decisions with confidence by providing research-based insights on the commercial drone market segments. So, Colin's here on the show today, and we're really looking forward to talking to him. We also have Isabella Gustav, and Isabella is the marketing manager at UAV Coach. That's UAVCoach.com. UAV Coach is a drone training, education, and news company for unmanned aerial vehicle operators. She is a great uh, person and has a great feel for the pulse of the drone industry. She uh, shares the top drone stories of the week at the UAV Coach newsletter, which is delivered to nearly 50,000 drone pilots around the world. So you need to subscribe to that. She also connects drone pilots with educational resources such as flight training classes, Part 107 study materials. You can learn more about her and UAV Coach at UAVCoach.com. The technology of SUAS is available for many types of operations, but people have failed to really account that demand for new and emerging technology is always well behind the capabilities of the technology itself. Colin, you've been expressing caution for years. The 2018 version, the 2018 drone market sector report, identifies both challenges and opportunities. Give us a high-level view of the key challenges that you see for drone service providers today based on the survey results. Well, so thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, let me uh, first start by putting your context, uh, putting your question in context of the research. This is our third annual uh, benchmark report, and you know our objective really is to gain insights on which industries are thriving and which aren't, and how businesses are using in uh, drone acquired data and their day to day operations. And we look at four segments of the market. We look at drone aircraft and payload purchases. We look at drone service providers. We look at business and public agency users, and we look at the software and the apps. And um, the data from this report and, you know, what I'll be mentioning throughout the podcast comes from a survey we conducted this past July and August. 
and um, it had over 2,500 respondents. Um, the full report's 107 pages, got 51 figures and tables. It's a very large report that we've distilled up and contained some of the key insights, and one of them is the one that you just mentioned. You know, we're, we've seen for um, at least the last two surveys that drone use in industry and in public agency, it's still new, um, and it's, but it's still maturing. And, you know, while everybody complains about you know, current drone regulations and pines for beyond visual line of sight operations freedom, it's important to remember that um, both the strengths and weaknesses of the current situation we're in, and this is, this is our view of it. So one of the real good strengths about where we are today in the drone industry is, is that we have some pretty good solution maturity. And that means, you know, solution meaning the aircraft and, and software Although it's constantly improving, and you know, out of out of the box data capture accuracy uh, by most drone solutions are pretty good today. Um, if greater accuracy is needed, you know, people can easily get um, readily available better technology like RTK or PPK. And and the other thing that's really good about where we are right now in the industry is the cost of drones themselves. That is the cost of prosumer drones. And, and the broad-based support from a range of software developers and, and the pricing plans and subscription-based models for, for, for that software and mapping services, it's, it's competitive. So there are lots of opportunities, uh, we think, that are good opportunities for people to check these out. There's a, lot of, a lot of these software packages have freemium um, capabilities. And then uh, there's a good available uh, availability of re- resources, you know, including legal services like your own or, or drone-specific aviation insurance, um, trade shows, flight training, webinars, um, how-to guides uh, like that that you know UAV Coach provides. There's just this plethora of resources available to anybody who wants to start to drone practice. So the problem is that there are some weaknesses right now with what we see in at least in some of the technology and and um, uh, where we think that you know there's there's still more growth to be had is first of all it has to do with data processing bottlenecks. Um, most solutions we see, uh, not all, require that you upload images from a drone aircraft to to a mobile device or laptop or a cloud service, and then they're stitched together. They create a 3D model, and then that underlying data is processed into usable layers. You know, and in, in most situations, you pretty much have to wait for that information. Sometimes hours or sometimes overnight. Uh, the other weakness, of course, and, and you know a lot about this, is the airspace restrictions. You know, piloting drones over buildings and construction sites or an entity asset in a city or urban district or an airport zone or an area identified as a critical infrastructure can sometimes that be a real that's a real challenge. And that came out in our survey. We saw that that people were challenged by getting flight permissions. Um, you know, and there are other challenges that are outside of the purview of any of the technologies, weather conditions. Uh, there may be legal restrictions um, outside of airspace for a particular location, um, getting access to uh, a takeoff and landing point. And then there may be job site obstructions itself. You may be flying a construction, there's cranes, and you know the cranes move from the last time you were there. Um, so it's hard to do a repeatable mission. Um, and then there's other things, and these are more complex. We see issues in uh, IT and data governance, you know, and in some cases, for example, inspections, you know, a single drone can collect, you know, 550 to 100 gigabytes of data. And managing these large data sets still haven't seemed to be worked out yet by IT departments, that is, the people who are consuming it. So you may be able to collect a lot of good data, but people are struggling uh, on the enterprise and business side to know how to, how to deal with that.
so that, that's sort of what we see are the strengths and weaknesses of where we are right now. Great. Isabella, why don't you chime in and, uh, and give us kind of your thoughts or questions? Yeah, great. Thanks for having me on the podcast as well. Um, so I like that we talked about some of the challenges um, in the industry right now, and the survey also pointed out um, some opportunities. And one of those is that there's a very low barrier to entry for service providers. So one of my questions um, to call in is, do you think the barrier to entry um, to start your own drone business as a service provider is going to stay low with only requiring a Part 107 certification? Um, or do you see the entry um, barrier to entry rising in the future as the service side of the drone industry becomes more saturated? Well, well, that's a good question. You know, there's nothing that we see, at least, you know, legally on, on, from the regulators, um, and, and that would be more than just the FAA, you know, because we, we, our survey is global. Um, we don't see anything outside of, of the regulators themselves changing or making things more difficult. Um, so, you know, besides regulation, no, I don't think there's anything that's really going to raise the barrier at all. I think that, you know, there will be more competition as more, and we said this early on, we even said this before we had Part 107 actually become law when it was first proposed. We thought, well, it, it, there is a considerable um, barrier to entry. You know, before we had Part 107, we were under Section 330, 330, uh, 333, and um, the that was basically businesses had to apply for an, an exemption, and that was a fairly large hurdle for people to get over because to actually fly the drone you had to have some kind of a pilot's license well now we don't you know the requirement for pilot's licenses may change um you know the faa could change that requirement there's nothing in the law that res restrict them from changing it um but but we'll see but you know our, our take is you know as far as we can see out and we we project out about five years we don't see anything we don't see that hurdle uh, increasing. Great. So, Colin, I want to talk a little bit about real-world situations for Part 107 pilots uh, trying to build a drone service business. Insight number four of the of the report um, indicated some really interesting things. That that the, the quotes are: the U.S. market is flooded with service providers reporting very little revenue. Almost half of the service providers have only been in the business for less than a year. 78% earn under $50,000 per year, and only about 12% make over $100,000 per year, and I assume that's gross revenue. And about half have just one full-time employee, and that's the remote pilot themselves. So, big step back. If I'm trying to launch a drone service business, I get my Part 107. What strategies do you think I need to account for, given the modest revenue and the part-time operations, in order to position myself to be ready for future market growth? Well, uh, this, thank you for asking that question. We get asked this question uh, quite a bit, and we've written about it several times. And In fact, we just published a series of free reports uh, called Quick Start Guides that provide um, an introduction to drone use in specific industries. And uh, papers are designed for people just like you described who want to get into and understand, um, so they want to get their drone-based service 
business to maximize the value that they can bring to business operational groups. And, you know, these reports um, were written to provide guidance uh, for industry-specific that should help uh, new Part 107 service prisoners kickstart their business. There's one for energy. um, There's one for infrastructure inspection. um, And... uh, but but let me ask let me answer the the question you know specifically the research we did this year and and last year tell us pretty much the same thing if you want to make money in the drone business you can't be a generalist you you must be a specialist that is it, you must be or become a subject matter expert in a specific industry or use case um so sort of we think we don't think it's gone but we think that that where people start out is is in aerial photography and video and that's a market that is pretty saturated um there are are plenty of businesses that that serve plenty of part 107 pilots that can service that business and th- those are the part-timers those are the people making um below $50,000 a year the ones that are making above $100,000 a year that's where it gets interesting because it's really specific they uh, they offer services beyond just what the drone uh, flying a drone itself. They're 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 doing work like photogrammetry work, or they're they're in they're do offering surveying and mapping services. Um, so you know, l- let me give an example of what kind of expertise you would need. Um, you know, um, for example, in critical infrastructure, you, you need to be an expert on that asset, and you need to know the customer-specific workflow and the analytics they need. You can't just fly a drone and hand them some data. They're, they're not looking for just that. They're looking for more than that. And, and if you're thinking, you know, oh, gosh, I, I've got an automated uh, mapping and mission planning uh, program, and, and, you know, I can now become a surveyor and mapper, um, you can't just hang out your shingle and say you're, that you're doing surveying. And in fact, you can't do that because it's illegal. And you know, in most states, sure. you need a license to to be or to say that you are a uh, a surveyor or mapper. Uh, so here's what we recommend: we recommend that people learn specific um, a specific service. And you know, it could be as simple as learning how to do photo uh, or video editing. Um, so you're offering more than just taking a picture; you're actually offering a service beyond that, the processing of the data. Uh, another one would be uh, learning how to become a photogrammetrist. And um, photogrammetry, of course, is, is uh, being able to take multiple pictures um, and uh, be able to create a 3D uh, digital image of a particular subject. But, um, and there's a lot of software that does that. Um, but, it, but the software is not completely automated. There's a lot you need to be able to do to process that to make it accurate and usable for a particular customer. And um, photogrammetry is not new. It's not new to, to drones. Photogrammetry has been out there before drones ever got on the scene, especially air, aerial photogrammetry. Um, and a couple of organizations, you know, offer certifications. One of them that we point people to is uh, the ASPRS. That's the American Society of Photogrammetry and Remote Sensing. And they offer certifications in not only in, in drone use, but also in uh, in particular, photogrammetry. So uh, that's where we think and, and how people will make money. Yeah, and Colin, we we obviously see this a lot on our side too, and we speak to these folks who 
buy a drone, they want to get into it. And, and the first questions are, you know, do you have a customer base and what is your expertise? And when and if the answer is I don't have a customer base and I don't have any expertise, it, it always seems to us and we recommend, I mean, look at this is this is where you're building a company. You're going out and you're finding the pieces to the puzzle, right? So you need mm -hmm. to bring someone into your company as a co-owner or what have you, an employee, to be able to to provide that piece of the puzzle within a specialized niche. And I'm sure, mm -hmm. Isabella, mm -hmm. you're seeing this too within your, your pilot database. What thoughts uh, do you have about this particular part of the puzzle? Absolutely. We have interviewed a handful of business um, owners um, operating drones as part of their business, whether it's in photography or mapping or surveying. Um, and we get a lot of the same or similar feedback um, when they when we ask them for advice. What advice as a successful service provider would you give to someone wanting to start a drone services business? They always say, find a specialization and really hone those skills. And then don't promise more than you can deliver. Like in the example Colin gave with surveying, you need a certification to survey in addition to a certification to fly a drone commercially. Um, and sometimes um, people going into drone services without doing the proper research find out they've promised more than they can deliver. So really being aware of different regulations in the industry you want to enter into, not just drone regulations, but um, regulations around that industry, such as surveying or mapping. Um, and being aware of federal laws, but also state laws. So there's a lot that goes into it, but we've seen over and over that it's possible. And like we mentioned, the barrier to entry is low. Um, if you do the proper research um, and really commit to a certain field or specialization or um, sector of the industry, that's when we see the most success as well. Yeah, and you know, we've been doing new and emerging technology law since the new and emerging technology was something called the internet in 92, and it's the same every time. It's, you know, the technology can do all kinds of amazing things. You can build these apps, you can build a software, but getting end users to actually adopt is 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 a, you know, a good trick and it takes time and Another part of insight number four that I found fascinating, Colin, which really hits the nail on the head is and gives us some hope is that, yes, there is this upward trend in revenue compared to last year's number. There's more people, less people making under $50,000, more people making more than $50,000 than last year. And uh, there's an increase in the number of employees on average. Is there a tipping point, Colin, where the market demand moves from slow growth to rapid growth? And if so, like, what do you, what triggers do you expect will drive that more dramatic increase in demand? Oh well, so um, let me start by this: it's saying uh, we believe this is the number one misconception in the drone industry. We and we've said this for a while. We've even said it all the way back in 2015. We've said the number one misconception is how fast it will grow and which sectors will grow and which ones will lag. Um, and so to answer your question directly, no, we don't see a tipping point anytime soon in the future, and, and that's for lots of reasons. We think growth will continue to be incremental but not exponential. And I know a lot of people point to beyond visual line of sight as the you know, soon-to-be inflection point where we'll all of a sudden see hockey stick growth. 
Um, we don't see it that way. Uh, and to be clear, you know, a few of us have been sort of making this clarion call for, for years now. And it has nothing to do with drones or the technology itself. Um, it has more to do with the way in which businesses adop- adopt new technology. And you should know this. Um, you, you know, this isn't the Internet, and it's not a consumer uh, or, or a business, um, business-to-business or business-to-consumer play. Um, you know, no one disagrees that consumer and professional drones, they represent this great new emerging market, and they do. Um, and drone forecasts, they abound. You know, we, we currently, we track 84 independent companies that provide market forecasts. And we look at them, and we buy them, and we, we, re, we scrutinize them. And each one of them projects this growth for the drone or, or unmanned aerial systems sector. That, that they're nothing short of phenomenal. But some of these are built on some really questionable methods. And, you know, at the time we were written, there was no historical sales and really no re- reliable market data on which to really to create a proper forecast. Um, and we think the proper way to do it is to assess and look at individual industries and look at it ground up. And that's, that's what we do. It's sort of our, our uh, niche in the market is to really look at uh, industrial demand and look at the economics but looking beyond the economics, uh, we think there are some triggers that will drive increased demand. Um, but again, most of these are out of controls of the drone service providers or drone vendors. So the triggers would include a variety of factors. And this is probably the number one. It has to do with how digitized um, and, and is a particular industry and what's their technology adoption. Um, what's What's the business risk aversion that a particular industry or, or a particular business itself may have? Um, we still think there are concerns about invasion of privacy. Uh, so, you know, no technology or, or, or um, you know, advancement in regulation is going to change that. Um, and, and I'll give you a couple of examples. So, you know, one of the ones we looked at early on, everyone thought that agriculture was going to be this big, uh, big huge drone adoption. Uh, but when we looked at it, we looked at the agricultural sector, um, and we looked at what was really triggering uh, drone use and, and the use case itself. Um, when you go beyond uh, crop scouting and you're now into crop vigor and you want to do a crop vigor analysis, and farmers have been doing crop vigor analysis for a long time, um, and people were talking about this end-to-end process where you'd fly a drone, it would take a, you know, a, 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 a near an NDVI image of a field, and you'd be able to know what areas of the field needed a particular prescription, uh, and then you would apply that uh, to your, your variable rate sprayer, and um, you, know, you could save a lot of money uh, via the imagery that the drone had captured on the back end by the variable rate that you were uh, pushing out prescriptions onto your field. Um, the problem is, is that variable rate technology adoption is, is low. Uh, depends on which survey you look at, um, anywhere from only 15 to maybe as high as 20% of farmers, at least in the U.S., have actually adopted variable rate technology. And, and in other parts of the world, it's even lower. Um, so there's one example where, you know, very, the, the gate, the thing that would, that would create any kind of uptick, really is around the adoption of digitization. You know, is, the, is, is a farmer a digital farmer? And then if they are, are they, have they adopted some kind of, of, of uh, variable rate technology? Well, that's, that's not high at the moment. Um, but, and then we look at the other things. We look at, um, we look at McKinsey's study. McKinsey Global Institute uh, looks at all the industries, and they look at um, 
how much they've adopted digital technology for things like their assets and their business processes and their labor. Um, and when you look at that chart, you can see clearly how the industries line up. Um, so, for example, you find that information and communication technology sector, that's way up in the list because they've adopted technology from the very beginning. Um, and that would be, you know, one of the things why you would see the success of, of the Internet uh, operating within people's uh, IT businesses. Um, and you look at look at that same list, though, and you look at well, who's at the bottom. At the bottom is construction and agriculture. Um, and that's not a surprise to us because when we, you look at construction, the way things are done traditionally in construction, you know, somebody creates a paper plan and they throw it over the wall and they give it to the builder. Um, you know, in agriculture, as you know, we've talked about, it's really not a digitized uh, operation, not yet. Um, as, there's a lot of technology available, um, but overall adoption is not as high. And, you know, oil and gas, that's somewhere in the middle. Um, so you have some firms that are you're very technology-driven, um, but a, a lot of them operate under traditional methods, which is, especially in the area of asset maintenance, they're, they're operating where they uh, are, are outsourcing that or to contractors. And those contractors, they're happy with the way those contractors operate, and they operate under these terms of services and terms of agreement that are um, tied very much to the way the businesses operate legally and the regulatory um, uh, restrictions around um, how uh, something needs to be and how often something needs to be inspected. Um, you know, so we look at this and you put it in the context of drones. Drones are a digitization enabler. Um, and so for adoption to take place on a large scale, the industry itself, would need to be either widely digitized or on a path to digitization. So that's how we look at it. We look at it in terms of the context of the industry. Interesting. Isabella, what kind of thoughts, questions do you have about uh, these market sectors? Yeah, I really enjoyed the examples Colin was giving and kind of comparing um, that the different sectors are growing at different rates uh, based on how they see drones fitting into their day-to-day um, -day tasks and what they need to accomplish. Um, I think as we see um, a greater knowledge, a more widespread understanding of what drones are capable of, um, that growth, we might see an uptake in um, adoptions of drone technology, and then we might see a faster rate of growth in the drone industry. But I agree that for now, I think it's going to remain um, growing at a slow and steady pace. Um, we're still discovering new applications of drone technology, and the hardware um, has made um, jumps and leaps in the past five years. And now we're focusing a lot. You'll see throughout the industry, people are focusing a lot more on what the software can do, um, leading us into realizing that drones um, have this digitized capability, um, not just a physical uh, machine that can go up into the scientist pictures, um, but the data, what can we do with that, um, and how can we meet the different needs of these different sectors. Um, so I found that really interesting as well, and hope and look forward to seeing a increase in the growth rate of the industry. I think it will take off, but it, it will take some time. So Colin, here's here's a question that uh, is going to uh, probably be on the minds of some of our listeners who are just starting out. If, if you were 
launching your uh, your drone service business today and you were you had some resources so you could partner up you could in, make the investment you need in in the technology what would be the sector that you personally would would go after Wow, me personally. Um, well, so I think the most promise is in firms that are able to contract out for um, large work where there's a higher profit margin. And that's not a volume play. So um, we think there is a volume play if, you're, if, you're, if you are drone-based or you're Droners I.O. and you're selling packages to commercial end users and using pilots on demand. That's a, that's a volume play. Um, but for individual Part 107 pilots, we think the best way is, and we discussed this earlier, was to really specify in a particular industry. Um, so, you know, I we look at the DSPs who have done uh, something specific. So we look at the companies like Measure and Sky Futures and Cyberhawk and DroneView. They're offering industry-specific um, uh, services. So for Sky Futures, it's oil and gas. Mm-hmm. Um, for Cyberhawk, same thing. It's a, it's it's oil and gas. And drone view, um, it's surveying and mapping. Um, you know, each one of those comes with its own individual set of of um, uh, of, of overheads that are required for a business to make money and do it repeatedly. Um, you know, I look at DroneView um, as DroneView Technologies uh, as one of the companies that have been pretty successful to hang in there and build a large uh, drone service provider business because they, you know, they tried everything at first. <laughs> they right. tried everything, and now they're now they're down to really looking at surveying and mapping. Uh, they're looking at mining and aggregates. Uh, they're looking at particular industries where they have uh, some in-house expertise. Um, they go for contracts where they know they can make a profit, and that takes time. That takes somebody. That takes some business development. You know, somebody inside the business who's who can really know how to write and navigate a contract. Um, otherwise, you can lose all your margin in, in the extra time and overhead that it takes to meet the customer data requirements. Um, so, you know, if I was, if I was a model like anybody, I think I'd probably model like what, what DroneView has, but with the caveat of, of, of saying that, um, you know, a lot of that comes from experience and, and, and experience over time, and it just doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. Isabella, same completely unfair question to you. If you were going to launch your own business today, w- what direction would you go in? That is a really difficult question, but I think it's a good one, and it's a question a lot of people um, have on their minds. Um, I see um, a lot of maturity in the aerial photography um, sector, in the real estate sector, um, and I also think those are fairly easy to get into. Um, so I'm not sure which one, which specific sector I would pick, but I think um, if I was just starting out, I would lean towards one of those more mature sectors um, where you might find more standards um, in place or processes. Um, some of the newer or, or less mature um, uses uh, might just have a little bit more legwork, but you get what you put in. So um, I would encourage anyone to see what their current skills line up with or interest and and to do a good, um, take a good look at 
the maturity of the industry and what the, the challenges might be in that particular sector. Yeah, one of my favorite quotes is uh, that the number one differentiator in any of these new and emerging technology spaces is perseverance, right? And so the good news is the cost uh, to, to be a, a service provider is relatively low that you don't have to do it full-time right now, that you can build your skills over time and then get information, um, start to understand the markets, start to see the opportunities and grow over time and be prepared to take advantage of the opportunity when it comes. So if you're if you're going to be uh, if you're looking for to make a quick buck, this is not the sector for you. Uh, you need to have that long-term view. So, um, Colin, where can people obtain the 2018 drone market sector report, and how much does it cost to get a hold of this? And before you answer, just let me say this: people who are building their drone businesses, you need to understand it's more than just buying the drone. You're building a business. You need information. You need expertise. You need to develop um, a business plan that's going to take you from here to there. So, to have this kind of information available to you is going to give you the insights you need to run in a particular direction and how much time is wasted going in the wrong direction or multiple directions you got to pick a path and you got to stick to it and you want it to be the right path so you want to do it from a from foundation of information so Colin where could people get this report oh, well they can get the report itself on my website it's very easy to get to it's uh, droneanalyst.com uh, d-r-o-n-e analyst.com and under the research tab and when you click on the research tab, you'll see that there's uh, several tabs there for um, both the free reports that we have, the ones that I mentioned earlier, the industry-specific ones, and, and we've got them dating back all the way to uh, 2015. Um, and then this report itself, which gives you really the current state of the market and really will give you a leg up for, for your competition, you know, against your competition, um, it's 1650 for a single-user license, and 2450 for an enterprise license if you're a larger firm and you know you have uh, people across the country um, that comes with 60 minutes of free consulting um, and then again that's available at droneanalyst.com forward slash research um, and then we also have a blog that that we write um, you can keep up to date with the latest research and you're also at Colin Snow on Twitter uh, and so that's a good place uh, to find you. I take it as well, or is yeah, there another Twitter handle that people should be going yeah, to? Yeah, no, that one, that one I keep. That one's dead. Um, the one that I use is at droneanalyst.com. That's the one that I use. Got it, got it. And Isabella, where can people find you guys online and uh, and tell us a little bit more about what your you folks can offer to to pilots and service providers in this space. Absolutely. We offer flight training classes in 20 different states across the U.S. where a certified drone pilot will meet with you in person and introduce you to um, DJI software and drones. And um, we also have an online Part 107 prep course, um, which will prepare you to take the aeronautical knowledge test and help you along your way to becoming a certified remote pilot. And you can learn about all of this on uavcoach.com. And we're also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter as uavcoach. So I encourage anyone um, considering starting a drone business and starting from the very beginning with their certification to check those things out.
Yeah, we know from Collins' research that about 50% of the folks in in that study have been in the business for less than a year. So this, like most new and emerging technology sectors, it's the new people who come into the business that really help uh, spurn growth, the expertise, niche. It's, you know, it's great if you've been around for a long time, but don't be afraid to get into the business. Don't be afraid to, to develop that expertise. There's still plenty of time. This market is still maturing. And we will see you next time. Isabel and Colin, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Drone Law Pro Radio. Visit us at dronelaw.pro. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on most podcast listening platforms, including your home devices, by searching Drone Law Pro. Don't forget to share this podcast on your social media and with your Part 107 friends. Until next time, fly safe.